Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Travelcast, episode 481. The Travelcast is an audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, it's our final week of the weird Wild West here on the Travelcast, and we're going to close out with a great one. First, though, the final winner of our Travel Quick Draw contest, the story A Big Surprise by Kai Delmas. Travels are stories exactly 100 words, and they're the name of the game around here. So here we go, A Big Surprise by Kai Delmas. Come to Papa! Greymore shielded his eyes from the harsh red sun and grinned at the oncoming train. Are you sure it's gonna work? I mean, have you done this before? Timian was visibly shaking, this being his first railroad heist. Of course it'll work. I always change it up so they don't know what's coming. But this summoning will be my grandest ambush yet. They watched from up on a hill. Purple smoke rose as the train reached the spot. From the smoke, a behemoth of a demon appeared and swallowed the train whole. Graymore frowned. Well, shit. And that leads us into our feature story, That Bloody Frontier by Sasha Brown. Sasha's a Boston writer whose surreal and weird fiction is in lit mags like X-Ray and Masters Review New Voices, and in genre mags like Bourbon Pen and FNSF. He's a Codex and full SFWA member. Find him on Twitter at Danton6 and online at SashaBrownWriter.com. So without further ado, we bring you That Bloody Frontier by Sasha Brown. August 2nd, 1855. The bones of the railroad workers were laid out in whirls and loops on the desert plain, gleaming under the white gold moon. It was profound in its way. They were brought from far away to these lands to become part of a design they couldn't hope to understand. Someone must have arranged them as they fell. They were no pioneers. Theirs was not the achievement, Daddy. They simply cleared the path. I was on the roof of the trains, as often I am. It's a good perch to watch for trouble, but it's not only that. When I'm up there, my pure white Sunday dress fluttering in the desert wind, my hair burning gold in the sun, my opera glasses to my eyes, I hope I'm a reminder to my men. The frontier is a lawless place, but our train brings purity 
There will be no whores on my watch, no kicked dogs, no saloon fights. Where Eulalia Rain goes, civilization pools around us like the hem of my dress. Spencer climbed up a little ways, so his shoulders stuck out of the hatch. It's beautiful, isn't it? The sun glinted off his bald skull, so bright I could hardly look at him. He repulsed me, of course. All the men did. But he was the engineer, the most important of them, and I could spare him some of my attention. I showed him my dimples for the briefest moment. It is indeed, Mr. Spencer, but we must be vigilant. We are beyond the maps now, and there are monsters. Wild things, yes, he said, obsequious. It's been quite a journey. The giant antlions, the tunnel of teeth. He turned his weak chin smile to me and showed the pistol on his hip. But don't worry, I'll always protect you, Eulalia. I put a full bucket of ice into my reply. It is Miss Rain to you, sir. We are not intimate. My body might not be large, but men will find that I am not to be protected. He stammered an apology, blushing. But as he looked away, his eyes widened, and he pointed at a dust cloud on the horizon. I raised my opera glasses. Desperados were coming. I couldn't tell at first what was off about them, but they neared quickly, and I saw it soon enough. No horse heads, no boots. Horse and rider were the same in this outlaw herd. Human torsos reared up in equine bodies. Their four hooves galloped across the dusty ground, while human arms wielded pistols, and weirder weapons that I didn't recognize. It was an abomination, as though humans were smeared backwards into savage nature. What perversion had birthed these beasts? What unspeakable acts? Stoke the engine, Spencer, I hissed. We'd been traveling at a casual rate, conserving coal. We would need more fire to outrun the outlaw centaurs. And pass up the detonator. You wouldn't use it though, miss, he gasped, reaching the plunger up. You wouldn't, you wouldn't need to use it. But I wouldn't fear to either, daddy. I'd wired the cars just as you showed me, dynamite through and through. We would try to outrun them or outshoot them, but if it came to it, we would not surrender train nor track. My men shoveled coal furiously, but the desperados came up fast. They were too big, ten feet tall out of scale. They rushed onto the tracks behind us like a flash flood into a ravine. Several carried what looked like tumbleweeds, and they bowled them, hissing at us. They gleamed and sparkled as they rolled, embedded with razors. And where they hit my leaning men, they sent blood flying, arms sheared away. Their leader galloped ahead of the rest, gaining steadily. Curly red hair streamed behind her. It looked like red hair all over from a distance. But as she neared, I saw that she had no horse hair at all, just raw skin. Her flank muscles churned beneath her naked flesh, nodding and flexing. She wore no bandana, and she grinned at me as she came, her green eyes locked on mine. She was grotesque, but powerful, and in her I sensed an energy I had not encountered before, an opponent, perhaps, worthy of my respect. My hand twitched at my bosom, where I kept a derringer concealed. But no, from this range my little gun's aim would not be true. We were almost at speed, and I believed we would outrun them, giants though they were, but we needed more time. I walked down the train to the caboose, where my man was perched on the roof and firing wildly at our pursuers. The bullets barely slow them, miss, he said. It's all right, sir, I said. You'll find a way. I patted him on the shoulder, but I gave him just the barest push as I did. He yelped and tumbled off the train, landing crooked on the track. The outlaws leapt instinctively to avoid him, losing their cadence, and we sped away. It's as you taught me. We are not a team. We are an engine powered by men. Some must be consumed along the way. 
I'm not afraid to make those decisions for them. There are abominations out past the frontier, Daddy, but I have the Lord God with me. They are the monsters. I am the danger. August 2nd, late. I stayed up on the roof all night as we raced, our coal supplies dwindling, putting miles between us and our pursuers. Spencer came up to join me, and I let him sit quietly. The blizzard of stars whirled over our heads. Saguros towered, the great cactus sentinels of the desert. What do you think the ocean will be like? he asked. The same as the other one, I imagine. The ocean is not the objective. The railroad is the objective. When we tie the coasts together, we will have dominion over everything in between. No more monsters, no more wilderness. We'll tame it all. Of course you, uh, Miss Rain. He smiled at me with his damp lips. I'm sure he thought it was a moment. Two of my men stalked up and down the cars, watching for the desperados, but they watched the wrong things in the night. It was one of the great Seguros that swept down and walloped into Jonah, sweeping him off the top of the train with a violence so sudden it was to elicit no scream. Its needles impaled him as it went. As it straightened, his body was silhouetted before the broad desert moon, and I could see the vampire Seguro pulsing as it sucked the blood from him. Its trunk reddened, stiffened. His bones would bleach in the desert and join the great design. August 3rd. The next morning I was startled by the screaming of brakes. I rushed to the engine, ready to scourge Spencer for stopping, but I saw what had forced him to do it. Just ahead, the track shot out over a deep ravine, perhaps thirty feet wide. The rails had been laid, two shining lines across the void, but there were no cross ties to hold them together. Spencer mopped his round face as the engines halted to a shutter before the cliff. They'll bow out as we go, Miss Rain, he said. We'll never make it. The wheels will lose the rails and we'll fall. We had no time to fix the track properly. We must simply get across, one way or another, and we had an hour at the most before the bandits caught up. I was saddened then, Daddy, for I knew what must be done. I'm not heartless, as you know. I went back into the cars and favored the men with my brightest smile. They pressed on around, filthy and frightened, desperate for leadership. A temporary setback, boys. I showed my dimples again. I have a solution. In the meantime, it is time for lunch anyway, and we've been running hard, haven't we? For those who want it, I offer a cup of rum with your midday meal. Some demurred, perhaps knowing how distasteful I find liquor, or for their own private reasons. Spencer walked the aisle with a jug, and perhaps half the men accepted. Enough. I raised my voice as they drank. We may face obstacles, but the great engine of progress cannot be stopped. I knew my voice was sweet and lilting, and it was difficult to make men take it seriously. But in my Sunday dress, I was an island of purity amidst their grime and squalor, and I stood out as though I were lit from the inside. God has sent us, and God watches over us. I, Yululia Rain, love each and every one of you, my team, bending as one to make our holy mission a success. But some trials are more difficult than others. Some require pain, some require sacrifice. I hope you will all remember that the company engine is greater than any of us. Indeed, in a very real sense, we are all the engine. The engine is us, and above all else, above even ourselves, we must keep that engine on the tracks. I felt quite emotional as I reached the end of my speech. 
The men, sadly, didn't seem to appreciate it. I'm afraid it went over their heads, and some had already fallen asleep, knocked out by what I'd put in that rum. Spencer's hands were shaking almost too much to be of any use when he began tying the drunks. I know, Miss Rain, sacrifices, it must be made, he moaned, but this seems so very cruel. Is there no other way? I wish there were, Spencer. I am too saddened, but such is the way of progress. One must tie or be tied. I hope, sir, that we are both ones who tie. We are, are we not? Spencer paused and our eyes met briefly. He was a weak man, but not a foolish one. He nodded, sweat streaming down his bald pate, and went about his grim business. Just as you taught me, Daddy. Most men are incapable of truly serious decisions. Deep down, they want to submit. August 3rd, late. So it was that when that half of my men awoke, they found themselves bound hand and foot to the tracks across the ravine. For the human body is just the length of a cross tie, and if it's not quite as strong, it will do well enough for one pass. I stood once again on the roof. I wanted those men to see this last beautiful thing. Eulalia Rain, hair haloed in the sunset, a last white beacon of piety and progress to show them that their sacrifice was truly meaningful. Oh, they gibbered and shrieked anyway as Spencer released the brake and the train groaned on across the ravine. They rolled their eyes at me and begged as the engine crept towards them, first the shadow, then the steel. Their pale hands flailed across the hot iron track. We rolled over their ankles and wrists, crushing and severing them as we went. Bones broke, tendons snapped, blood squirted. One by one, as the train passed over, my men tumbled into the abyss, screaming, waving the stumps of their limbs. Cross ties are stronger. Men will only hold once. But once would be enough for us. I looked back upon my gory track as we cleared the ravine. The rails were still festooned with hands and feet, hanging limply to either side, their tendons smeared into the steel itself. Back on the other side loomed the desperados. They massed there on the edge, perhaps two dozen altogether, led by the red woman. Stoke the firebox, gentlemen. Shovel, your very lives depend on it. We began to leave our bloody bridge behind, but even as we picked up speed, the desperados trotted out onto the rails. They moved with impossible grace and balance, their hooves steady on the shining lines of steel. Even when the metal was slippery with blood, the centaurs never wavered, never faltered. They were coming for us. We picked up speed, but we were running out of coal, and the outlaw centaurs were gaining. The rhythmic drumming of their hooves rose until it seemed all I could hear. There was something unnatural about that sound, so jarring to the ear, and I realized that they were missing beats. It wasn't the rhythmic drumming one might expect from galloping hooves. It stuttered and lurched, but it was faster than ever before, and soon they surrounded us. They held ropes that they swung like lassos, but with grappling hooks at the other end. They launched them at us, hooking into window frames and dragging, slowing us further. I stood on the roof of the engine car, my Sunday dress whipping in the wind, facing backwards. I knelt for a moment and bowed my head. I was praying to God in this decisive moment, but I was preparing too, just like you showed me, Daddy. I arranged the hem of my dress carefully, and then I stood to face the bandit leader. She came directly up the rails. As she neared our caboose, she flexed her great centaur muscles and leapt high into the air, landing on the roof at the opposite side of the train. 
We stood there, facing each other. She seemed too big for the car, as though she might tumble off, but her hooves were steady. The wind whipped my wide straw hat off, and it fluttered down towards her. She batted it away, grinning at me. She trotted steadily towards me, leaping nimbly over the spaces between cars. I hate your stupid train, she called. She stepped on the next car, perhaps twenty paces away. You and your straight lines. I'm here from the twisty places. We want you to go home. My hand hovered at my bosom area, where I had my derringer concealed. God sent me here. He sent civilization with me. I did not come to negotiate with horses. You know what the problem with you is? She laughed, showing brilliant white teeth. Your dress is silly, but also you're no fucking fun. Men have died to bring me here. You dare talk about fun. I bring order to a world of anarchy. The march of civilization is ever resisted by creatures of chaos. I'm not here for fun. We have a fun game we play out here on the frontier. She dropped her smile and her shoulders flexed, weaving from side to side. What we do is we take our guns out and see who can shoot each other the fastest. You want to play? I showed her my dimples in case it might throw her focus off. My fingers were poised between my breasts, inches from my derringer. I stand in the light of Jesus. Do you think you're faster than him? Her hand twitched at her gun belt. Draw and find out, asshole. You talk like a whore. Her eyes were locked in my cleavage, and she never had a chance to draw before I stomped my foot on the ground on the dynamite plunger hidden under my dress. The train cars exploded in a series of fireballs, smoke and fire curling towards the sun, and I on my engine careening away from the destruction. Those left of my men died in flame, but the desperados died too. So did their leader. I felt God's light around me in that moment, Daddy. I really did. I watched the smoldering ruins of the train shrink away in the distance, and when I turned over the next ridge, I saw a flash of ocean. We were so close, we were nearly to the shore, but the engine was stopping. I climbed back down to find Spencer alone, shoveling from a meager heap of coal, tears coursing down his black smudged cheeks. We've run out, miss, he said, run out of coal, all of our men too. His face twisted, fear and despair showing along something else, something tentative but dangerous, anger. You've killed them all, it's only us left. I almost heard a hint of wistfulness in his voice, but he was too frightened now, too wounded to imagine us alone. His hand crept, trembling towards his gun. It's as though your only strategy is sacrifice, every pitfall you've filled with bodies. All of your solutions are death, Eulalia. I showed him my dimples. It was the least I could do. But it is effective, I said, and we are not intimate, sir. I pulled my derringer and shot him through the head. He stumbled backwards, an astonished look on his round face, and fell directly into the firebox. The engine picked up a bit of speed with that addition. I pushed Spencer's legs into the fire, and we crept on. His body wasn't as good as coal, but it kept us rolling a little ways more, just over the next crest. And there before me was the glittering sea. I've made it, Daddy. I write to you now from the shore. The ocean rolls out before me, and the land between belongs to us. The twisty parts will be straightened, the bloody frontier tamed. The rewards, ours. I'm first, alone. I am the winner. I am the pioneer. All of this is ours, Daddy. Everything is ours.
Centaurs and train heists and vampire cacti Tunnels of molars and oversized antlines Subtext on progress that frames things anew These are a few things that made this one cool And I hope you did find this one cool, folks. And that goes for our whole Weird West event. We've never run with this theme before, so as is often the case with this show, because it's kind of also just the space where Weird lives, I wasn't 100% sure what to expect. You can relate, I'm sure. (laughs) What the f- Jesus. Nevertheless, the engine of weirdness cannot be stopped, and so we just keep shoveling coal into it, and then slushers, and then coal again, because we too found it works better, and we never actually ran out of coal, we were just trying something new, until here we are. We made it, Daddy. And it sure feels weird calling you that, so I hope you don't mind that I'm going to. These were Drabblecast original stories, some of them written just for this little special we did. So thank you authors, thank you voice actors, but thank you most to the Drabblecast slush team, who meticulously read all the many, many, many story submissions we get sent in to find the ones that will be just perfect for you. And there are quite a lot that aren't so much, so trust me, it ain't always easy. And thank you again to our former editor, Cameron Howard, who really was the main human body just throwing itself into the firebox to power this thing over the hill. Next week, holiday shenanigans, folks, because you know we can't resist. We've also got a Connie Willis story coming out in our Patreon bonus feed. What, what, what? What, what? In the world, you say? Our Patreon community at patreon.com slash Drabblecast, where yes, we do have bonus episodes as one of our tier levels. We've also got director's cut author interviews, we've got ad-free episodes, we've got every single Drabblecast ever, every Drabblecast bonus episode ever, of which there are nearly a hundred, I reckon, and convenient 25 episode zip files. We are a listener-supported show after all, folks. We aren't attached to some other big media company or organized crime ring. We're just a handful of people finding stories written by other people, which we buy in order to tell to a lot more people. In a way, like nobody else, I like to think. Because what's the point in that? We've been doing it this way for like 15 or 17 years. Jesus, I don't want to think about it. All of it always resting on you, the listener's shoulders, to make it feasible. And how we appreciate it and love being able to keep this a free podcast to anyone. If you want to support the show because I'm showing my dimples right now, joining our Patreon at any level, 3, 5, 7, 10, 15, or $20 a month, is something you want to check out. Again, that's patreon.com slash Drabblecast. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, and our Weird West event artist in general, Tristan Tolhurst. Tristan's a painter, illustrator, and connoisseur of the strange and spooky. When not working as a production assistant for a visual effects company, or writing out horror campaigns in Dungeons & Dragons, he can be found wandering the lonely woods in those forsaken regions of southern Quebec. His work can be found on Instagram at Tristan Draws Monsters. Our program is brought to you this week by Nicole Neely, Beau Kyer, Audrey Kay, Jossie Gerwig, Sean Gentry, Melissa Knight, Wyatt Scott, an owl pellet full of Werther's Originals, Joe Petrus, Oren Pratt, Bart Epstein, Anna Rose, Maria Lovett, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, one must tie or be tied.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.